I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to Brooko Mode for the eighth episode. We're joined by Ty Wooferden, three-time world champion, Speedway rider. Thanks for coming on the show. Cheers for having me, dude. Most Australians don't really know what speedway riding is. A bunch of my mates didn't know too much about it. I had to show them your clips. So can you give a bit of insight into what racing is like? There's no gears and no brakes on the bike. We basically run a 500cc engine um, on methanol. No brakes. They accelerate faster than a Formula 1 car. Um, they're pretty gnarly things. It's not so big over here in, in, in Australia. It's more of like a hobby over here. But if you go to Europe, like it's a, yeah, it's a full-blown profession. So... Um, I flew out to Europe when I was 15, and when I turned 16, went pro. And then, yeah, I'm 32, 33 this year, traveling backwards and forwards, doing summer here and summer over there, and yeah, it's pretty gnarly. It's good. You've reached the top of your 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 sport, three-time world champion, obviously. Watched a lot of the stuff, you've, a lot of interviews and stuff, and a bit of a Ferris Bueller quote, if you've seen that movie. No, um, I well, it says, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. You stated that sometimes you force yourself to sit down and make yourself appreciate all the stuff you've achieved because time just goes so fast. How do you balance being able to reflect on all your success while also being able to get that hunger to get back on the top? Uh, tough question. I, I probably don't think about it as much as I should. There's just like key moments like when you walk out when they call your name out at the British Grand Prix and you've got 45,000 people in the Principality Stadium all cheering for me. Like, that's a moment where you just have to, instead of just focusing on where you walk and, like, just take in what's going on around you. And same at um, at the Warsaw GP. You know, 60, or it holds 60,000. I think they have 55,000 for every Grand Prix sold out. Them moments, I kind of, like, sit back and just look at them. But as far as, like, being ready for, like, I want to win everything I do, whether that's riding a bike or I'll set little micro challenges like I'll try and pass a car before I get to Hillary's or like I'll be on the freeway I'll try pass a car before I get under that sign like everything there's just constant like challenges that I set myself little micro challenges so when it comes to like racing I just want to win anyway so that's just instilled in me I think 
you've said that you've never really struggled with nerves too much. Is that how you've always been or have you had to sort of learn that? No, that's how I've always been. Hey, I've never... Like, if, even from being a kid, like, I was always first kid to do all the jumps that, when we built jumps down at the bush and was never, like, worried about the outcome of what would happen. So I, I don't know if that was a part of my childhood. <clears throat> maybe when I was really, really young, maybe I used to, but I, I can't remember if I did. But it's always, like, pushing the boundary and pushing the envelope. I, that Them sort of things, like, don't scare me or don't worry me. So I think when people are worried about it or scared about it, that might be why they get nervous. Or uh, It's hard to say because I've, I don't really, like, I've never really felt it, so... Like I've had, I spoke to boys in the change rooms. They say they feel like this, like stomachs churning. I'm like, fuck, I've never experienced that. And then they're like, oh, it's good. Like you, you should have it. And I'm like, well, uh, I don't have it. Never have had it. So maybe I should try and find it. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. I'm definitely someone with my sport who's been more anxious. And then when I haven't been anxious, you can see how much better you can perform. So mm. that's definitely contributing to your success of your career. I definitely think. So you've also stated that when the pressure rises, that's you seem to love that and thrive off that. Do you think having that composure under the pressure has been one of your greatest strengths compared to some of your peers? Uh, yeah, possibly. Like, there's a few guys that I race against, and when they're put in them positions, they always crumble. I actually didn't notice it myself, but um, Peter Adams, the guy that comes with me to all the Grand Prix, he like, manages me, and when I rode in England for Wolverhampton, um, he was the team manager at the club, and every time they put me out for a tactical race... I'd always win it so like because it's a team event and we race against different teams all over the country if our team was losing they could put me in instead of another guy that wasn't performing as well and I can score like double points so if I win I get six points rather than getting the three and then sometimes you have to go off like 15 meters like if you're losing really bad you can put a rider in like it's, it's possible if your team's going really bad to score 21 points in a night but you should only be able to score 15 but it's them extra like tactical races where they chop you out and put you in for somebody else and then you can go 15 metres and if you can pass them all in 15 metres then you get double points again and just a few little things to help keep it close with the scores. And anyway, he said to me, he's like, you know, every single time I've ever put you, I've ever like called you up to put you on a on a tactical, you've always done the job. And then I started to think about it to like all the times and yeah, there's pretty much like not one time where I haven't, haven't stepped up to the plate. It'd actually be interesting to learn what that is. Like I always watch motocross, the guys will be going fast and they'll be racing after the gate drops. But then after they crash, they get back up and then they just put down some heater laps. And it's like, how can you get in that like frame of mind of uh, like almost like from the start, like think you've crashed. But what is it that what when you crash, why do they put them like three, four, like really fast laps down and go back to where they was, if not better? Whereas if they didn't do that, if they didn't crash, they would have just like stayed in that same rhythm. Yeah, that's a common theme in a lot of sports that you see. Like, you see in cricket sometimes someone will get dropped from a catch and then they just suddenly, it's like a new innings. I feel like when something like that happens in your sport, it's all in your head and it's. I think a lot of it's to do with the expectation and sort of like they've got that security that they can tell them internally tell themselves like it doesn't matter what happens now because i have this like sort of internal excuse for what happened i've been knocked off i'm injured whatever happens happens if if i perform poorly after this i've got a reason for it and it's not their fault and therefore they can just take more risks ride with freedom mm. like sort of step away from that pressure inside their own head and just you know as you mm. said heat elapse as you called them yeah no, it's good to watch. But when someone crashes, it's like, oh, fuck, watch this guy. He's going to go in it. He's going to rip now. Talking about injuries, you've obviously had your fair share of injuries in such a 
in such a dangerous sport. I'll, I'll go for this little segment on my show um, where my pop asks a question. Stop for pop. His question around this is, how do you mentally prepare for such a dangerous sport? I don't know about when I was younger, but uh, this isn't. This is kind of not really sports. So anyway, I'll tell you the story. So Travis Pastrana was trying to do a triple backflip or the double backflip, and he did an interview and he said, like, you know, I've, I've visualized everything. I've visualized myself like being paralyzed. I've visualized myself crashing, the injuries, the rehab. Like I've mentally rehearsed everything. I've gone through it all. So if it happens, it happens, but I'm prepared for it. And that kind of like triggered something in me. And then my dad got sick and he got cancer. So I actually used that. I, I visualized the funeral. I visualized, you know, all the, all the sort of stuff that was, that was going to happen, that we was planning and organizing. So I knew what was coming, but I visualized and I went through it over and over and over and over. So the day that it actually came to going to the funeral and standing up and speaking and doing all that stuff, it was just like, like I'd done it like probably four or five hundred times in my head already and it's the same with like my racing so like when I actually got up and I stood at, stood at, like looking over all my family friends and my dad's friends and I, and I said I read his last words which was really tough anyway just that preparation mentally and like visualizing it and mentally rehearsing it and I guess that's the same like with Speedway like now I've also done that once I did it with that then I also did it with my racing like you know if I crash and end up in hospital and I'm paralyzed from the neck down like I've, vis- I've actually sat and visualized all that stuff like it's crazy to like sit there and think about it like imagining you imagine yourself in a wheelchair and like all them sort of things that kind of comes around or broken femur like two broken legs two broken arms like you know not being able to wipe your butt or not being able to pick your kids up or all that sort of stuff like i've been through all that so when i go to the track there's literally like i don't think about anything nor that nor not that i ever have done but because i've done all the mental rehearsal and all the visualization i really think that helps me have a clear head when i go out racing anyway yeah that's very powerful i've i was reading some of your book today when you were talking about that visualization stuff with your dad and i think that's good that you've been able to implement it into your sport the powerful stuff is that when you're able to visualize it and you can sort of accept it and then when this when it comes you've you're you're sort of mentally ready Mm. for whatever the consequences are yeah and i feel like I, i i don't really visualize much for sport but i feel like i should but i think with me who's more anxious about sport sometimes when i start visualizing it you start overthinking it and then you start thinking about the pressure that could be there but but pressure's always there right but no like i just feel like no one's ever going to put any extra pressure than than what you put on yourself so if i roll out to warsaw grand prix with fifty-five thousand, and you can like when the tapes are about to go up you can hear the like the air horns you can hear the crowd under your helmet but you're just like so laser focused on what you're doing and there's no one in that stadium that wants to win more than me so that, like, that pressure's there, but it's always just going to be at that same level because it's the pressure that I'm putting on myself and I know that any other person on the outside, family, friends, fans, they don't want to win as much as I want to win. So that pressure comes from me and I know it's from me. So I know like where I want to be at and where my levels are. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like, no, there's no, I feel like there's no added pressure. So you feel like being able to just be internally hungry for something and then that just makes you focused on it and you don't have to I just don't think about what I don't really care what anyone else's opinion is because when I go out on the track and I put in 100% and I know I put in 100% okay if I don't win then that's okay because I've tried everything I can I know that I've done my bit and if it wasn't good enough it wasn't good enough but I can't do any more do you know what I mean yeah definitely that's true I feel like if you if you hold yourself to putting in everything 
if you hold yourself accountable to putting all your effort into the race and your training that you can just be content with that and yeah. the results speak for themselves obviously yeah what advice would you have obviously when you went from you've been obviously high performing for a long time but you made that transition in the 2012-13 period when you started to become a bit more professional with your training and your diet which you spoke about in your book what sort of advice would you have for athletes who want to become more professional and take it more seriously and sort of know they have the potential like you did but sort of just aren't getting to right into the i would say like just live it and breathe it like i probably don't live it and breathe it as much as i should currently but them years them them like early grand prix years where i was like slaying everybody like i was in it like 110 percent like I'd, I'd wake up in the morning and i'd be like van going training boom can't eat that no sugar do this do that like i was so hungry for it there's a there's a dude on online called eric thomas he does uh, motivational speeches and he says when you want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe then you'll be successful and i just feel like that's that's really true like <clears throat> he tells a story about an asthmatic and um this guy goes down to the beach and he's like he goes to this guru he's like oh you know i want to i want to get rich i want to make heaps of money and and the guru says come down to the beach 6 a.m and, and, and i'll show you what you need to do and um, he goes in the water, goes to like to waist deep. He goes, no, nah, come deeper. Goes to chest deep, no, nah, come deeper. Like up to his chin in the water. And this guy pushes his head down, holds him down, holds him down, holds him down. Comes up, he's like, what the fuck, man? Like, I came here to like learn how to make money, not to swim in the ocean and try to be drowned. And um, the guru says to him, like, what's the, what did you want to do the most out of anything else in the world when I was holding you under? He's like, well, breathe. He's like, when you want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe, then you'll be successful. So yeah, that was um. I watched that. I've watched that many times. All of his videos when he tells his story about he was so he was homeless and now he's like a, I think he's a multi-millionaire. Like goes around all all around the world doing speeches and stuff, telling yeah. his story. Yeah, that's a great analogy. I feel like what can happen is people are sort of scared to become obsessed because they know that when they put all their eggs into their basket, it might not be enough. And then sometimes, the reality of not being enough is actually a lot harder than them being able to lie to themselves and say, oh, what could have been? Oh. See, I, I disagree with that. I think that, okay, they might think like that, but if they think that and they do come up short, okay, why did you come up short? I only trained 50 hours. Okay, we'll train 150. I only caught the ball this many times. We'll catch it four more times than you did that year. Practice, practice, put more into it. That's what I mean, like, be obsessed. Like, yeah. If you go into it and you want to be the best, like if I want to be the best cricket player or the best soccer player, I believe I could do it because I'd work for it. Yeah. It doesn't matter how many sleepless nights I have. If I have to train twice as hard as the other boys, like I would put the groundwork in and I'd do it. And I think that I'm, I'm kind of like that with everything. I've like, so last year I wanted to skydive. So I went and got my skydive license, which is pretty simple. It's not like really hard. And then I like, do, and then I started DJing. So I went to watch Fisher play in Perth and I was like, fuck man, if this guy can do it, so can I. So went to Lab 6 in North Perth and did a full DJ course and, it's like a 10-week course I did in three days. Before I did Speedway, I got my black belt in martial arts. I was like one of the youngest kids in Australia to get their black belt in Taekwondo. A lot of discipline in there as well that I learned from a young age of doing the Taekwondo. Like every day we used to stand in class and go, I intend to develop myself in a positive manner and avoid anything that will reduce my mental health or physical growth. And that's just like instilled in my brain. Like I stopped doing Taekwondo when I was 2003 maybe. And that's just like embedded in there because we used to read it every day. Yeah. It's uh, part of the student creed. So there's like, yeah, there's all these little things, but like, I just believe that if you want to do something, go do it because you're the only person that'll stop you. Exactly. So on that, you think being obsessed is, and being hungry for that is 
the best way to go about it instead of because my point was that i feel like you hear so many people older people who say like they could have been this they could have been that but they was too lazy to do it yeah so my point is that like it's actually it's easier to be like that than actually put in the hard work which is which is harder and then it's well, you ha- have to put the hard work in exactly but i think it's harder to accept the most people are not going to be good enough i feel like that's harder to accept then it's easier to be like oh i could have been that if i put in the work rather than the real the work the rea- the rea- yeah and the reality that most people aren't going to be good enough but that's but they're not going to have regrets but i don't th- i think that's what when when you say people aren't going to be good enough that's where i disagree i think everyone's good enough but some people have to work harder than others but like the reality is that there's only like limited amount of people that can succeed in certain sports what do you think about that no i, I don't think that i think i could be a professional football player i think i could be i could i think i could have been everything i just chose speedway but like whatever if whatever i set my mind to i would make sure that i succeeded in it yeah so you think then that's what you have to hard you have to work hard you have to be obsessed with it being obsessed with it means if you're one of these guys and okay you, you got the talented dude say you're the talented dude and i'm the non-talented dude so you can do 50 hours training and that's enough for you to be as good as you need to be i might have to do 150 hours to be on the same level as you but i can still do it yeah. i just gotta work harder yeah i don't think there's any point in anyone's life where they're not good enough at saying they just don't want it enough they don't want to work hard enough for it yeah i totally get that that comes from them yeah so speaking of this like training stuff i feel like when you hear about successful athletes like yourself it's sort of hard to know what actually is you know what how much training actually do would you be able to like give us a bit of insight into what like a solid week of training would look like for you yeah so i haven't done one for a while but um I tend to do a lot of cycling, so it'd be at least like twice a day, Monday to Friday, or once on Saturday, and then Sunday off. Or well, it depends on which day it would fall. Sometimes I have um, Friday off because I do like a hard group ride out of Jindalup Arena. So lucky yeah, I ride my push bike most days. I do some running. Like I ran from my house to here a couple of weeks ago. It was like 20k or something because we live in Mindari, so yeah. it's a pretty long run. And then yeah, like three days in the gym, just like getting strong core and but I just like to because I've been doing it for so long now I've tried lots of different things I've done CrossFit I've done this I've done that I've found like a a happy medium where I enjoy all my training and nothing's a chore but when I do train like when I go out cycling I like to bury myself in a pretty big hole like I like to turn myself inside out and really suffer I don't know why there's just something about I don't like doing it when I'm running when I'm running it's just a normal like steady run but for some reason when I'm cycling I can really bury myself deep but yeah, just a, just a mixture. I'll just try and have like a mixture now. Trying to balance it around the family as well. I've got two young girls in a bit of a flow state with my training and just enjoying it and, and doing it as and when I please, which is good. Clearly you lo- love like the adrenaline rush you've got. You're in the um, in a dangerous sport. Um, you've done the the parachuting and stuff like that and the, the risky stuff. Are you able to sort of ground yourself a bit when you aren't training and stuff like that or...? Do you always look for like sort of that adrenaline sort of activity? Yeah. So I was talking about this on a podcast a couple of months ago. It's kind of scary because I don't know, I don't know where that's going to take me. Always chasing that next thing. So like I backflip my BMX bike and then I was like, I want to backflip a motocross bike. So I went to Donnybrook down at Sheenie's house, did a backflip on a motocross bike. And then I was like, I want to double flip. So I've been trying to organize that for a few years. And then with the skydiving and then I know that that's going to get to the point where I'm bored of jumping out of a plane and I want to base jump off cliffs because there's more of an adrenaline rush. There's more danger. And sometimes I think like, where's the, <clears throat> where's the end point? Is there a point where I actually have to hold myself back and say, 
nah, like, you need to stop. Like, I want to surf the right. I can't surf. <laughs> I can I can tow off the back of a jet ski. So I was like, sick, I'll just get towed in. Like, no problem. I'll learn how to do the all the breath stuff. Have my little uh, oxygen pack on so that I can pump it up and get out the water. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, then sometimes I'm like, where's the point? Do I have to die for me to realise that? But then I won't realise I'll just be dead anyway because I push the boundaries too much. Or, like, wh- where's that where's that point where I stop and calm down? Because right now it's just like, what's next? Bang, what's next? Bang. Like, DJ'd. DJ'd a club in Mildura, South Australia, and then flew, that was like 2 o'clock in the morning till two uh, till 4 o'clock, till close. Had a couple of hours sleep, jumped in the car, drove to the airport, flew to Perth, DJ'd here in the afternoon. Now I'm like, okay, I want to DJ a festival, want to DJ my first gig in Europe, and like it's just going to like quickly escalate, and I'm going to be at the point where I'm like DJing Tomorrowland or Lost Lands or like any of them big festivals, which is what I want to do with my DJing. But then what happens after that? I don't. Then I'll probably find something else that I want to do, and I'll just jump on that. Yeah, I don't know how to explain it. I'm constantly chasing that buzz. We actually on the podcast a few weeks ago or a few months ago, we actually we called it emptiness. We're chasing emptiness, and that's where you know when you're doing something and you're so involved in it and you're so in the zone. Like if I go ride my motocross bike on a Tuesday or Thursday morning, when I'm riding the bike and I'm doing a moto, there's no, there's like I'm. My head's empty. And I don't know if I'm chasing the adrenaline or the emptiness. Just that clarity of not having anything in your head. And that's that's kind of what we um what we came to. I need to think about that over the next twelve months and see if that is what I'm chasing. I think it's adrenaline, but my mate thinks it's emptiness. Yeah. I feel like when you with the stuff you're doing, like your brain with your dopamine circuits and stuff, you're always gonna want more like that baseline of your the threshold for risk is just going to keep going up which is it's pretty high at the moment yeah, exactly <laughs> your threshold compared to mine would be way different yeah i get what you mean with that emptiness stuff it is one of those things where when, when you do have that adrenaline like your brain is just in a totally different chemical state than yeah when you're just doing normal activities like when you jump out of an airplane when you do it like tandem it's like more scary maybe there's more going on and because you're not in control but when you actually learn to jump out of a plane on your own you're thinking about so much like or your body position and getting everything right and how far high you are and all that sort of stuff. So in that one minute of free fall, falling at 200 kilometers an hour, you're not thinking about anything else apart from falling through the sky and doing the maneuvers that you want to do. It's just so, so clear. It's like mental clarity, just bang. Like there's just nothing else, no thoughts. Like you don't think, oh, what's for dinner or I need to do this or I need to drive there or I've got to do this. And when I'm not doing anything crazy like that, then my mind's just like... I probably have ADHD. Yeah. I haven't been tested, but I probably have it. Because when you're jumping out of a plane, you know that you have to do it or else you're going to... You're just going to go straight into the ground, aren't you? So uh, I don't know. It's just like any, any of these like high adrenaline things, like when you say like your brain goes into a different state and everything slows down. So like you fall for a minute. After you pulled your parachute, you're like, oh, like was that a minute? Was that a minute? When you're falling and doing all your stuff, yeah. it just feels like it takes forever. Yeah. Time, per- time perception is changed when you have these like adrenaline spikes like mm. that but yeah i don't know what i'm chasing i don't know if i'm chasing that dopamine or i don't know if i'm chasing the adrenaline rush or emptiness mental clarity who knows but i'm gonna keep chasing it for now because i enjoy it <laughs> yeah that is um pretty hectic uh, me and my mates were talking about jumping out of a plane i think that would be a big enough start for us to be honest yeah, but like like I said, when you do it, so when you do your license, your first jump is actually like solo. Yeah. You just have a guy holding on to each side of you. Yeah. And you just have to like 
check your heading, check your altitude, check your body position, and you just do them three things over. But because you're actually thinking about stuff, you're not thinking, oh, I'm falling at 200 kilometers an hour and what if my parachute doesn't open? Yeah. You know what I mean? You're just not thinking about that. Yeah. Obviously, it could happen, but it is what it is. No, I sort of... I like that whole point about the clarity because I feel like there's so many times where the mind just is just distracted by so much stuff. But mm. being able to just have that pure focus is because like you know you have to do these things to in order to survive like mm. that's there's a book that you might like it's called the chimp paradox about like you're in a chimp yeah and like controlling yeah. it and understanding it and yeah you'd, um, i don't know if you've read it but you'd probably be into that and the other one's um the law of attraction yeah read that's that. a good book Rhonda Byrne. Yeah. yeah yeah that's cool that stuff i used to um do a lot of that i sort of gone away from it but i feel like if you're advocating it then it's definitely something worth looking into again. Uh, well like, like we were saying before like the mental rehearsal and the and the, the visualisation that's all law of attraction stuff right yeah. like see it believe it do it see it believe it receive it Conor, Conor McGregor actually said that his um, his sister got him onto that book like it's, it's, it's a bit like public and if you actually watch some videos with him like when he fought Aldo and he in the change rooms yeah. he knows what Aldo's gonna do and he like ducks out the way and then cracks him with his right hand Yeah, and he does it in the change rooms before the fight Yeah, and then knocks him out like half an hour later with the exact same move Yeah, like he's just going through a bang bang yeah. bang rehearsal visualisation is huge even sometimes it actually benefits you more than you think a lot of it is subconscious and training all these like the millions of neurons we have in our brain and just getting them ready and it's we're actually a lot smarter than we think we are oh for sure so sort of deviating a bit off that topic a bit of a, a random question here but what would be one piece of advice you would tell a younger version of yourself before your first ever race <sighs> first ever race 2002 australian championship at river lake under 16s man i wasn't even good enough to be in that event <laughs> yeah. i was just there making the numbers up uh have fun I think I feel like that's one thing that I've done this summer. I never normally ride when I come to Australia. I rode in Gilman, Mildura, Brisbane, and Perth. Like forgot about all the stuff that comes with it and just focused on the enjoyment, having a crack with whoever was helping me in the pits. Like wasn't professional. I flew over there one bike, a cardboard box, and a kit bag. I didn't have a toolbox. I didn't like whoever was mechanicing. The club had to get me a mechanic. They had to bring a toolbox and all the stuff. Because of that, like, raw kind of taken back thing, it was just all about having fun and whatever happens, happens. It didn't really matter about the results. We were just there to have fun and go racing. And, yeah, I would say have fun would be the, the key thing with any sport. Yeah. Obviously, with all your success and the big races you've been in, are you still able to, like, enjoy it in the present? Or because you're so determined to win, it sort of takes a, a backseat? Yeah, it definitely takes a backseat, especially like over in Europe. You got your reputation on the line, so you want to like be that guy that's always on a good level. It's very professional over there. The the fun aspect does go out the window, but then it probably goes out the window because you're so focused on like on winning them races and being successful. And then that's when you're on the roll and you're winning all your races, then you need to step back and go, "Oh, this is cool." And appreciate it for what it is rather than just going through the motion and all of a sudden it's the end of the season and you're like oh what happened there yeah but having fun's a, a big thing for me this year like just yeah just wind it back a few notches and go back to basics and just have fun again because the last few years have been tough and yeah. i haven't really enjoyed them like i should yeah i'm looking forward to this year yeah so you think it's definitely possible to get that healthy balance between pure determination and sort of still being able to enjoy it 
it's one of them things like if you have the pure determination and you're winning you're going to enjoy it anyway it's when you're not winning that you don't enjoy it yeah. because you want to be winning so yes yeah, it's, it's, it's a fine balance on that sort of topic you've had you've raced i saw somewhere like over 700 heats and more than 200 heat wins and some of like the more pro stuff having such a la- large amount of heats and races that you have does that help with sort of your resilience in the sport probably speedway is a little bit different because you got to think like like we race five times in one night at a grand prix we race seven if you make the semi-final and the final so like if you suck in your first race you ain't got time to whinge about it like if somebody plays afl and they they're no good then they've got what two weeks is it every fortnight afl one, once a week once a week yeah so they've got a whole week to think about it and whinge about it and do whatever we, we ain't got time for that so it's just constantly bang 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 you just yeah if you have a bad one forget about it on to the next yeah it's pretty full-on when you're doing it with your races i saw somewhere they're actually they're quite short are they all about one minute pretty much pretty much about that yeah so in that sort of 2013-ish period you saw a sports psychologist um which is sort of a path i was wanting to go down um and then you were able to have like all the success which you've had in your career what sort of if you can give us an, a tiny bit of insight what sort of steps did you sort of put into place or any changes you made to help you get that success after so basically dad had died we came back here which was like our family home i went completely off the rails a party like really hard for like three and a half four months and that's when i started when I reached out to this dude and we started working together or maybe we started working together a little bit earlier during the 2020 2010 season anyway I think it was 2010 2011 winter so I went fully off the rails like contacted him I was like hey like I don't know what I'm doing I think I'm going to finish racing you know blah 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 and then he said well before you like make your decision let's like write everything down on a piece of paper so he put like a big cross through the middle and it was like UK pros and cons Australia pros and cons and we just it was just such a simple thing of writing down all the pros of racing a motorbike in England, all the cons of racing a motorbike in England, all the pros of not racing a motorbike and coming back here and getting a job. Yeah, basically wrote it all out. And then you see it there in black and white. All the stuff was pro in UK. In Aussie, there was a few pros, but there was very small. So I could see that, like, visually, I could see it in my hand that that's the path that I need to take. So I should have another crack at it. So I went back to Europe, cleaned myself up, all good, went racing, and enjoyed it without my dad which was the first year without my dad so it was kind of like a rebuilding year of one doing it without him being there because he'd been there through every step from when I turned 16 and plus all the stuff we did here in Australia and then like yeah I didn't know if I was going to enjoy it or if I wanted to do it without him so there was all that stuff going on that was like the one thing and then we pretty much like didn't really do much after that but that one decision helped me come back and then had two years of getting my head down and then 2013 they got offered me a wild card for the Grand Prix and then yeah here we are. Do you think when you met your wife eh, do you think that sort of helped ground you a little bit? Yeah for sure she definitely um, pulled the reins in a little bit I just wanted to be around her all the time anyway so that was nice I wasn't really fussed about going out and partying and running amok like I always did obviously met Faye in the March April at Metfay in the April 2013 and then by the end of the year I was world champion so it was yeah must be something there yeah exactly before we spoke about sort of the pressure of riding and then having your reputation on the line I've seen somewhere that you said that the British love to build you up and then sort of knock you back down how have you sort of dealt with all that criticism that comes with being high profile normally just block anyone that says anything negative about me yeah 
But as long as that, I don't care if it's negative or positive. I don't know if you follow me on Instagram, but I yeah. posted a thing, Eddie Hearn, the other day on my story. Yeah. And he was like, if you haven't got haters, like, you haven't made it. Yeah. Like, and I just shared it because I thought it was great. But yeah, I don't care if they're talking about me positively or negatively as long as they're talking about me. Just yeah. keep saying my name. Yeah, so, yeah, I get that. Do you have any advice for people who would be having criticism, even if it's like at a low amateur level from... Just go, just go back to like what I said before. As long as you know you've put the work in and you know that you've done everything you can physically do and then if it's not good enough or it's not good enough for somebody else, it doesn't matter because you've done everything that you can do. And okay, if you know your performance wasn't great or as long as you're thinking, how can I better that? Like, it doesn't matter what anyone says. Like, no, again, what we said before, no one wants to win as much as I want to win. Yeah, I couldn't really give a fuck what anyone else thinks. Yeah, that's great. So with that sort of motivation and hunger to become the best athlete you can be what sort of advice would you have for like someone like me who's like at uni working a bit and and isn't like and who wants to put in more and be more fully more dedicated and you know give the sport i play a crack what sort of advice would you have for someone like me i I think we've kind of covered it all you know like if if you're a if you're a high-end player and you're really talented then that's great, but dedication, hard work beats talent every time. Every time. And I've seen it before, like people that are talented but they didn't put the work in and the level they got to and then one year they put the work in and you could see like a huge difference. Like this kid was unstoppable and he had a crash and he can't, yeah, he's paralysed now. So just be hungry, like be better than the guy that's next to you. Be better than yourself from the year before. Be better than yourself from the week before. Just constantly strive to be better. Train for longer. Train harder. Like if you struggle something with the ball, then practice with that more. If you if it's your fitness, then train harder. Train not maybe not harder, but train smarter. Train longer. Maybe do more zone two endurance stuff if you're getting out of breath. Or what we have around us here for any sporting person that lives in Western Australia, they have there is no excuses. Like you have everything parks running paths swimming pool jindalup scarborough craigie this is the the hub of sport i feel like there's everything in such a short space some yeah. countries would throth to have all that yeah hard work and dedication breathe it breathe it live it breathe it so basically it's all on you really it's all on you especially with sport the thing i hate about my sport is like it, i can put in all the effort that's possible but if that engine that's underneath me isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing and that's my engine tuner's job yeah. I can't tune an engine, then it's different. But AFL, soccer, football, um, where it comes down to you, strength and conditioning, your mindset, your skill level, how hard you train, all Olympic sports, you know, there's they're all they're all down to the person, down to the human. And I actually wish our sport was more like that because it'd yeah. be easier for me. <laughs> yeah. So but yeah, I think it's all down to the person. Yeah. Sure. So last little question. We talked about having to put in all the hard work and stuff like that and we talked about the mind stuff and with you you don't feel the nerves like some of your competitors what's your sort of take on sport with the mind versus physical thing uh it depends on the sport i think speedway is very mental as long as you're light and you're fit from my perspective because you know maybe i'm a little bit more talented than other guys but like i don't think i am i think i'm just a harder worker like i've never been i've never been really good at anything straight off the bat like I've seen people get on motorbikes and just like throw them around. I'm like, wow, that's insane. Yeah. Like it'd take me like five years to do that. Yeah. But I'd, I'd, I'd get to the point where I wanted to do it. So I think you've got to, to be at like at sports like footy, you've got to be quite fit and strong. I think the mind separates the good from the great. Yeah. Being able to consistently perform. There's a lot of good athletes. Their form 
injuries, they get in their own head, criticism, and they can't sort of take that next step and get back to where they were mm. like the great athletes can. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So I said that was the last little bit, but last little thing about sort of maybe your future. So you're 32 now. You've obviously had a tremendous career, obviously. What are your sort of goals to finish off your Speedway career? After 2013, I won my first or my maybe after in 2015 after I won my second I said I wanted to be the greatest of all time which means that I would have to win seven because the highest that's ever been won is six so yeah I've set myself that goal of, of being the goat we'll see how it, we'll see how it goes um, as long as I keep enjoying it then I'll keep riding I can ride for another 10 years not a problem you know as long as injuries don't get me um, I think Greg Hancock was the the oldest world champion and he won uh, he might have won in 2016 uh and he would have been, I think he retired, at, he might be early 50s now, hey? Yeah. Um, his missus got sick, so he retired. Yeah, that's 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 the goal. Um, so yeah, just keep chasing more world titles. Be the greatest of all time. So you can sort of keep riding to your early 40s? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, as long as I stay hungry and um, stay motivated, stay committed, um, and don't have any huge injuries, then yeah, we can keep going until... I think the day you stop enjoying it is the day that you retire because when you're not enjoying it, then you won't be performing and then it just won't be a good time. So, And right now I still love it, so we'll see where we go. Well, hopefully it all goes well for you and um, I appreciate you coming here to have a chat with me and it was a great perspective shift for me having someone with a very decorated career compared to some of my lower lower light mates. But it's great to get your your taste on your take on things and sort of you know, see how you go about it. Definitely want to take a leaf out of your book and look into some more of that visualization stuff because I think mm. that's a cool space to go into. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely um, there's definitely something there. I feel, and I feel like um, I know with the visualization, but like the the mental clarity and the clearness, and meditating. It's one thing I I don't really do, but I I would like to get into it more. Yeah, a bit of um, a bit of meditation I think would would definitely help me. Maybe the me- I feel like I still don't know who I am as a person even though like I've done everything I've done and I'm very committed and I'm very focused but I feel like I'm still like a bit lost as to like who I am and and, and why I'm here and all that sort of stuff so I really want to dive into that meditation and and just yeah see where that takes me yeah I feel like it's sort of like finding your your values and stuff can when you do all that like dopamine chasing stuff all those adrenaline sort of things like sometimes you can it becomes a bit of a rabbit hole sort of chase where like yeah. you don't know where what the end is and it sort of becomes a bit of reflection and sort of thinking about things a bit more and yeah mm, that's my next step anyway yeah maybe the the meditation can replace the the jumps out the plane <laughs> oh no i don't but i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want to replace them i just want to yeah i don't know i want to do it and see where it takes me and see see if i can just like understand a bit more so see if i can actually do it first because for me to sit still for longer than like oh yeah it's five fine. minutes it's fucking hard, isn't it? or for like 30 seconds with my eyes closed yeah i'll just be like i'm very active like yeah always on the go always doing something so that'll be that'll be a big challenge for me yeah which i'm looking forward to that's cool hopefully that goes well for you but thanks again no worries man thanks for having it. me on yeah cheers ty thanks thanks dude Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.